Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's going to be hard to top the excitement that was rivalry week last week in college football. You had so many great games come down to the wire, so many upsets. Obviously, you had the Apple Cup, the huge win by the Cougs on Friday, and then Saturday, things got crazy with Michigan beating Ohio State. Auburn and Alabama going to four overtimes before the Crimson Tide survive, keeping their college football playoff hopes alive. That weekend, last week, and you had Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma last-second victory. It's going to be tough for the uh, college football world to top what they did last week, but right now in the Big 12 championship game, Baylor rushing out to a huge lead uh, early on. They were up 21-3. Oklahoma State has trimmed that to a 21-16 game with about six and a half left to play in the fourth quarter. Uh, If Oklahoma State wants to make the college football playoff, Today is of the utmost importance with them being ranked fifth in the country. If they lose, they can kiss their college football playoff hopes goodbye, especially if, say, Michigan slips up against Iowa. Uh, I would say Michigan would not make the college football playoff. Oklahoma State would then probably slot into one of those four spots. But right now they are having a tough time with it, Taylor. Uh, Looking at this top four in the college football playoff, Georgia, Alabama, they play today. Michigan also plays today against Iowa. And then Cincinnati, they get a sit on, or actually they have a tough one too against Houston later on today. So everybody playing of those four teams, I think Georgia obviously is pretty much locked in, even if they lose to Alabama, just based off of the what they have done this season. Uh, but how excited are you for the uh, the slate of games today and just the potential for chaos? I love it. This is uh, Championship Saturday in college football. Uh, this is what it's all about. This is what you play for. You know, the Pac-12 one was last night. I'm sure a lot of Husky fans were pretty pleased to see the Ducks go down, even though it meant that uh, a little bit more national embarrassment for the conference, which is fine. But no, these uh, I love good college football in any conference at any time. Um, so the fact that we get some big games this is what it's all about. It's none of those late season patty cakes, the SEC schedules. These are some good games, some tough opponents. And look, you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So this is this is where you prove it. This is where the the you know the cream rises to the top. Yeah, we got Oklahoma State with the ball right now, trailing with five and a half to go. They've got it on their own twenty-five yard line. We'll keep you up to date on that one. Uh, obviously Georgia, Alabama, the marquee game tonight, uh, or today, that one gets going as soon as we're done one o'clock on CBS. And then in the night cap, you've got Michigan taking on Iowa. That game is going to be at five o'clock from Indianapolis, uh, as the Wolverines look to clinch a spot in the college football playoff, but they face a tough Iowa team. Uh, that should be a very fun one tonight, uh, between two Big Ten powers, I would imagine that game is going to be a slugfest. Probably 10-7 will be the final score, as every Big Ten game tends to be. Uh, but, man, I, I'm hyped for this slate of games today, and I uh, hope you are too, because it's going to be a fun one. How about we get into this hour's Big Three? Number one. Well, in the NBA world, Steph Curry bounced back, and the Warriors ended the Phoenix Suns' 18-game win streak, 118-96. 
as the NBA's top two teams split their recent two-game matchup. LeBron James said in his brief stint in the NBA's health and safety protocols left him feeling confused, frustrated, and angry after his first game back in a Lakers uni as they lost 119-115 to crosstown rivals the Los Angeles Clippers on Friday night. Now, that's not the only COVID news in the NBA. Charlotte Hornets have had four players, LaMelo Ball, Jalen McDaniels, Mason Plumlee, and Terry Rozier, enter into the NBA's health and safety protocols. It was announced today. The Hornets have sent players and staff home from their practice facilities as there were concern of possible positive COVID-19 tests, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. So, as far as standings go, quick look around the NBA. Nets, Bulls, Heat, Wizards, your top four teams out there in the East with the Suns, Warriors, Jazz, and Lakers. The uh, top four teams in the West. Number two. Mariners not the only team getting busy in free agency before this past Wednesday. The most noise came from the division rival Texas Rangers. They spent nearly a half billion dollars on their middle infield, signing former Dodgers shortstop Corey Seager to a 10-year, $325 million deal. And Marcus Semien, he signs for seven years, a number that the Mariners just were not willing to meet, even though Semien had kind of been the apple of their eye for most of the offseason. He goes to the division rival Rangers. But Texas really doesn't have much else besides those two, so kind of wondering where they're going to slot into that American League West race this upcoming season. Speaking of the AL West, you might want to pump the brakes on Justin Verlander's return to Houston. The two sides apparently hit a snag in their agreement prior to the lockout, so the veteran ace remains unsigned and will be until a new CBA is negotiated. Maybe there's an opportunity for another team to come in and swoop up Justin Verlander, keep him away from the Houston Astros, the defending AL champions. Also, a pair of players, Mariners fans and players, had their eye on. They're going elsewhere. That would be Marcus Stroman, who was was recruited by Paul Seawald and J.P. Crawford. He signs with the Chicago Cubs, a surprising signing as the Cubs aren't really viewed as contenders right now. They're looking to build back up to that level that they were in 2016. Chris Taylor, he rejoins the Dodgers on a four-year deal. In total, nearly $1.6 billion spent on free agents, but there's still plenty of big names available like Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant, and Trevor Story. Number three. Well, the NCAA coaching carousel is in full swing, and a lot of big-time programs and coaches have been involved early on. The biggest two being Lincoln Riley taking over at USC and Brian Kelly taking over at LSU. Now, Kelly and his new accent, his strong Boston accent with a southern draw, made their introduction to the Baton Rouge community this past week. And on the other side of the country, Lincoln Riley, his $110 million contract reportedly comes with some pretty sweet perks, including USC buying both his homes in Norman for half a million over asking price, buying him a $6 million home in L.A. for him and his family. Oh, and unlimited use of a private jet 24 hours a day, seven days a week for him and his family. Pretty crazy stuff, but again, for the Pac-12 fans, USC being a program, 
really helps lift the national exposure of the entire conference. And look, there's still plenty of other jobs left. Miami is an opening. Mario Cristobal has been rumored to be uh, one of the coaches that they will pursue heavily there. Although Miami, bit of a cluster right now is half the board can't uh, agree on what to do. And the other half can, apparently. So we'll keep an eye out on the rest of the carousel as it continues to swing in the world of college sports. That is this hour's big three. You bring up the Miami job. They've got Manny Diaz under contract as their head coach. Like that is something that is is happening or has happened, but that has not stopped them from trying to entice Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal to rejoin his alma mater. Uh, I believe last night there was a flight, a private plane flying from Miami to Las Vegas, uh, which was set to land around the timing, or around the end of the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, so uh, you wonder if that was maybe a high roller coming from Miami, looking to spend the weekend in Vegas. I doubt that being the case. I think that was somebody from the U trying to uh, rub elbows with Mario Cristobal. That's a situation worth monitoring. Uh, it looks like Miami is going to hire Clemson's athletic director to the same job with the U. So a big name like that going over to that program, I'm sure he's going to want a big name coach. If Mario Cristobal doesn't sign there, I wonder what direction the Hurricanes are going to go. It would be pretty awkward to keep Manny Diaz around, especially with all that has gone on this week. Uh, look, college football is better with Miami as a as a contender, but there are much better ways you can go about a coaching search like this. And uh, boy, that that's going to be a very volatile situation. Whoever takes that job. And look, Cristobal has built something good in Eugene, despite you know how that sounds to a lot of Huskies and Cougs fans. You can't argue with the results, even though they lost last night, got blown out twice this year by Utah. Uh, I would imagine the Ducks are very interested in keeping him around. Yeah, I mean, look, and again, getting back to the Pac-12 conference and what Lincoln Riley does to lift the Pac-12. Again, Mario Cristobal lifts Oregon, and those two programs are one and two as far as national exposure, the teams people look at around the country. And losing a guy like Mario Cristobal, I think, would be a big blow to the Oregon Ducks, who have found their rhythm again, seem to have found their success. Yes, they've lost a couple of the big games, but uh, look, they're playing in them. You got to to be able to lose a big game. You got to be able to play in a big game, and I think that uh, some UW fans wish that they could think about that again back in the Chris Peterson days, because uh, yeah, he did lose the big one, but he did get to quite a few of the big ones in in retrospect. Yeah, boy, uh, it's a playing in a Rose Bowl and losing a Rose Bowl. I think is a little better than uh, a four and eight season. Uh, you know, that's just me. As big if true, looks, Curtis. Big yeah. if true. That's just me. I'm built different, apparently. Coming up yeah. next here on Seattle Sports Saturday, we take a trip around the NFL, look at some of the biggest headlines heading into week 13. That's next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Week 13 in the NFL. As the playoff picture crystallizing across the league. We had a big Thursday night matchup between the Saints and the Cowboys as the Cowboys 
bounce back from their Thanksgiving Day loss with a win over New Orleans. And in that process, the Saints losing Taysom Hill again to injury. Even after paying him a considerable amount of money, Taylor, I I wonder what it is that the Saints see in Taysom Hill that I'm not seeing, that I, I don't think you're seeing, that I don't think anyone is seeing with the Saints. What is it that they love so much about him that they continue to give him all these opportunities and he just has not really ever done anything with it? Right. I think it's the fact that he can do all of these things. It's not the fact that he can do any of them well. Uh, The fact that I think that's what's intriguing down there to this coaching staff in New Orleans, but it's a head scratcher. And look, I'm usually team Tay, any sort of Tay Taylor. I'm usually on board. I'm supporting Taysom Hill, man. Not it. He, he, it's like trying to make fetch happen. It's never going to happen. Just stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to make Taysom Hill happen. He's not going to happen. And now he's got the mallet finger. So I just think that's not the direction this New Orleans Saints team needs to move. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be money not well spent. I've always wondered why they've kind of favored him over Jameis Winston because they were rolling with Winston as their quarterback. I think they were, what, 5-2 and two at one point, 5-3 with him. They obviously beat the Seahawks on that Monday night game uh, with Winston under center. With him out for the season, obviously you're forced to go with Trevor Simeon or with Taysom Hill. But next season, I would imagine the Saints are going to be in the market for a young quarterback in addition to bringing Jameis Winston back. But I just I have never understood their infatuation with Taysom Hill, who has had a couple of good plays in his career, but that's not somebody who I would entrust to drop back 40 times a game and, and, and chuck it deep. Uh, another uh, headline in the league, Antonio Brown, one of three players suspended on the Bucks roster for three games for misrepresenting their COVID vaccination status. Uh, as the story goes, he was alleged to have submitted a fake vaccination card to the NFL uh, after some investigation that turned out to be exactly the case. So now Brown must sit three games. I think a lot of people look at this and kind of wonder why Aaron Rodgers wasn't suspended. But what Rodgers did, I think, was different in that he misrepresented his vaccination status to the media, not to the Packers or to the NFL, whereas Brown did it to the Bucks and to the NFL. And that, I think, is why Brown was suspended for as long as he was and Aaron Rodgers wasn't. Yeah, I I agree, Curtis. I think that's the exact reasoning they used. However, I think it should have been Rodgers getting a three-game suspension still for misleading the media and the public and the people that he was around this entire time. And Antonio Brown, get him out of the league. He's done. How many strikes can a guy get? How many mess-ups? How many times can the league and the people in this league be fooled by Antonio Brown? because of his potential of being a good receiver and I'm sick of it I've been sick of it I'm just over this guy I think he's just nothing but bad so get uh, to me if you get him out of the league that's a win um this is just what another infraction it's not the most egregious of his infractions and I, I think he should have been outed for some of those other things but uh again how many strikes and how many opportunities can a guy get 
Yeah, you knew something like this. Not not this specific thing, but an incident was coming with Antonio Brown, and you knew that the Bucks were going to have to have they were going to have a headache at some point with Antonio Brown on their roster. And boy, you, you thank the lucky stars that he never ended up in Seattle, despite the best efforts of the Seahawks front office trying to court Antonio Brown and, and Russell Wilson trying to court Antonio Brown to the Seahawks last year. Uh, yeah, Brown helped them win a Super Bowl a year ago, but man, the headaches that he brings around him, I don't think outweigh the talent that he has. And the talent that he has is, is among the best to ever play the position, but it's just not worth it when he is consistently putting your team in bad spots. He's consistently putting himself above the team and consistently not uh, looking out for others on on whichever team he is, whichever, you know, whether it be the Steelers, the Raiders, the Patriots, and now the Bucks. Uh, good riddance, Antonio Brown. I hope that Tampa Bay uh, is able to make a, a, a smart decision here and, and maybe move on from him because, boy, the headaches that he causes just not worth it uh some other news in the nfl some injury news the cardinals look like they'll be getting kyler murray and deandre hopkins back murray has been out since week 13 but that is not that has not stopped the cardinals at all from slowing down they are still among the nfc's very best teams you get your quarterback back you get your wide receiver back I would imagine the Cardinals are, are now going to hit the floor running and, and really look to improve upon the start that they've had to this season. Taylor, when you look at Arizona, do you think they're the favorites in the NFC or, or is a team like Tampa Bay that, that was there a year ago, or are they the favorites? Who do you think comes out of the NFC? Maybe Green Bay? Who, who do you got? I still think Tampa Bay is the team to beat. They're deep, they're talented, and of course they got TB12 back there behind center. So as long as he's there, I, I'm, I'm skeptical to ever bet against him. But if there is a team that can beat him and, and, and win, it's a quarterback like Kyler Murray, right? We've seen it with Patrick Mahomes in the, in the past. Kyler Murray, similar type of player who can make those wow plays with his feet, with his arm. With his accuracy, it's uh, and then to have a receiver like DeAndre Hopkins back, a truly elite go up and get the ball with the best of the best on defense. If there is going to be a team to beat Tampa Bay, to me it feels like Arizona. And I was scared of this. We talked about it on the show before the season. I was scared Kyler Murray was going to take that step forward and figure out some of the problems that he was having early on. And it looks like he has, and it looks like he is truly a leader in that in that organization. And DeAndre Hopkins is bought in and, and loves that quarterback that is throwing him the ball as well. So look out for this Arizona team and uh, what they might be able to do later on in the playoffs. Yeah, I think, boy, you look at this NFC West race before the season, Arizona's emergence, I think that took me by it by surprise especially with cliff kingsbury being the coach that he was prior to this season where he was not above 500 in the nfl he was not above 500 in college he kind of wondered if he was just even the guy for the job i think he is for now depending on how arizona does in the playoffs i think that will have a big influence on the kind of hot seat that kingsbury is on but he's done plenty this season to put himself off of the hot seat uh, I wonder about the NFC West hierarchy going forward here. 
where you've got the Rams who got out to such a fast start this season. They've fallen back a little bit. They've had trouble winning ever since bringing Odell Beckham Jr. in. Not necessarily it being Beckham's fault. It's just that the team is not winning right now. And, and you've got the 49ers kind of in this weird middle ground. You know, Trey Lance not being ready to take over as the starting quarterback. Jimmy G not necessarily being a great quarterback his own right. Seahawks being 3-8. and eight. I mean, the future of the NFC West is going to be so bizarre, so crazy to predict next season. I just wonder who is going to emerge. Maybe it is Arizona that is the next team in this division that, that goes on a bit of a run here. Yeah, I think it might be. And look, the Rams just need to figure some things out. Um, at some point, not having any draft picks will come back to bite them and, and signing all these old players will cost them. But for now, they are still in the hunt. You know, they are still around. But uh, yeah, it just feels like as far as Tampa Bay and Arizona, who seem to be pulling away and figuring it out, LA doing the opposite and regressing after adding some of these stars. So can't say I'm too upset. I mean, I do like a lot of the players that they added. I love the way Vaughn Miller plays, and I, I'm, I've been an Odell Beckham fan. I love the way he plays wide receiver. Not necessarily loving all the other stuff, but he's truly a, a, a one of one of a kind talent at the position. But yeah, to, to see the, all of these struggles is uh, kind of mind boggling, and I wonder when the uh, pitchforks will start to turn towards Sean McVay and whether or not mm. it's something to do with him and him not being able to lead these group of men because they seem to be talented, but there seems to be some disconnect there. Very interesting. Uh, A week after the clunker that was Washington and Seattle on Monday Night Football, this week's Monday Night Game, a much better matchup. New England taking on the Bills from Buffalo. AFC East title or AFC East lead on the line. This is probably going to be the game of the week as as the uh, matchups throughout the NFL don't necessarily jump off the page this week, but Bills Patriots. Taylor, how stunned have you been at the Patriots' resurgence this year with rookie Mac Jones under center? Stunned. And uh, look, I took a little vacation a few months ago to the uh, Cape Cod, Boston area, and listening to the radio uh, and, and hearing them talk about the Patriots, you would have thought this team had lost every game since Tom Brady had left. That was the reaction they were getting. And yet, here they are, competing. Belichick's got this new group of guys bought in and competing, and they still have, you know, everyone said they were going to have holes, and they don't have the star receivers, and they don't have blah, blah, blah. But here we are again in New England, right back in the thick of things. But the Bills are a talented team. They've been struggling lately. If anyone is going to challenge them, it will be this Bills team. So, again, like you said, going to be a really interesting matchup to see on Monday night, and who can really... Um, put themselves on the best foot forward to be the AFC East champ. Yeah, and, and which team uh, will get thrown through a table? That's what uh, yes. we're going to be watching Woo! for. Love that. Shout out Bills Mafia. That is our trip around the NFL heading into week 13 when we return. Seahawks 49ers tomorrow. How can the Seahawks rid themselves of this three-game losing streak? We talk that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
it's the news we were kind of all anticipating this week. Not not the Adrian Peterson signing. I don't think any of us were anticipating that, but him being elevated to the Seahawks 53-man roster, that is made official just now by the Seahawks. Uh, Ian Rappaport first to report that. Adrian Peterson will be in uniform tomorrow for the Seattle Seahawks, which is something that if you said, what, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, that would have gotten people out of their seats. That would have gotten people to lose their minds. But how much can a 36-year-old running back give this Seahawks team that is and 3-8? Uh, what is left to be played for with this team? What's left to be played for with Adrian Peterson? I mean, you're 36 years old. you got to imagine these are some of your final games in the NFL, uh, maybe playing for his football life after uh, – after this season but taylor you look at this seahawks team right now and anytime you're bringing in a 36 year old running back to be maybe your feature back tomorrow it kind of speaks to things not really going your way this is not a move that a contending team makes no and i know he said his goal is to win a championship and i think it's going to be a difficult road to win it here this season now if he thinks he's going to come back and do it again at some point in the future maybe but yeah um adrian peterson like you said curtis having him a few years ago might have been quite a uh a coup but yeah to have him now this age i think he's there just to make sure things don't get out of hand and you know just in case alex collins gets hurt to provide some of those carries but i wouldn't expect him to be um getting 20 plus carries in the game no, I, I can't see him being that workhorse back that he's been for the majority of his NFL career uh, just simply based off of the amount of wear and tear that he has undergone uh, in his you know entire NFL career. That's somebody that has carried the ball a ton, and obviously there are still milestones for him to pass. Uh, I think he's just 300-something yards away from surpassing Barry Sanders on the all-time rushing list, and that would put him fourth overall. But I just I don't see how he can have success when really nobody has had success behind this Seahawks offensive line. And that kind of brings us to tomorrow's game between the Seahawks and 49ers. And this 49ers team is banged up. There are going to be plenty of key contributors for them sitting out tomorrow. Debo Samuel, we know, is going to be out. Dre Greenlaw, their linebacker, he's going to be out. Fred Warner, we can pretty much anticipate he'll be out. Their star linebacker. Those three guys are, are tremendous contributors to what they do in San Francisco. And yet, Taylor, we've seen this Seahawks team go into a game, a, a similar situation a few weeks ago in Arizona, where they had a ton of key contributors miss and they couldn't get the job done. How do you see this Seahawks team matching up against San Francisco tomorrow, despite the number of injuries that the 49ers are dealing with, injuries that would appear to be much more substantial than what the Seahawks have right now. To me, the number one thing to take advantage of this, right, Curtis, and the thing that they haven't done the past few weeks is you have to control the ball and, and keep that clock running, keep the time of possession running so you can take advantage of some of these things, right? Take advantage of the Fred Warner backup who's going to be tired by the third, fourth quarter from playing so much. Make sure you're holding on to the ball and making sure he's exhausted and making mental errors so you can score. And with Debo Samuel out, you know, making sure you get off the field on defense and limiting their time of possession so that your 
offense can get the ball back and control that clock again. So to me, making sure you can possess the ball and with these mismatches, I'm going to put that in heavy quotation marks because who knows what the backups can do as we've seen in, in previous weeks. But to me, if you can control that time of possession and truly dictate the, the pace of the game, that's where they're going to find success with these people being out, not just because they're out and it's a backup and, and focusing on targeting that person. It's truly going to come from dominating the game that way. But what, what about you, Curtis? What do you think is the best way for the Seahawks to take advantage of some of these these um, injuries on the San Fran side? Well, I, I think you, you really hit on it there with the time of possession. In, in my research this week, Taylor, I was noticing a trend this year that the Seahawks have been routinely on the wrong side of the time of possession battle. They have not won that during the 2021 season. In fact, the last time that they won the time of possession battle was nearly a full calendar year ago, December 13th, 2020 against the New York jets, a game that the Seahawks won 40 to three. So obviously they were going to win the time of possession battle that day with a score like that, but it has been so long since the Seahawks have, have done that. And, it's not something that, you know, you think is is such a tough thing to do in the NFL. I mean, winning the time of possession battle, if you're winning the game, you're usually doing that. And maybe it speaks to Seattle's reliance on big plays where those chunk yardage plays are obviously going to take away more opportunities for you to possess the ball because you're scoring so quickly. But also, time of possession there are plenty of other factors into that too. It's getting off the field defensively on third down. It's converting third downs offensively. It's, you know, controlling the run game. It's, it's all these things. It's good play calling. It's not just Seattle's reliance on big plays, but it's also just every other thing on both sides of the ball. The Seahawks have just not been able to do well this season. And you're seeing them lose the time of possession battle, which I think has a, a correlation to them being three and eight. And it's interesting too, with Pete Carroll, always emphasizing the ball, always emphasizing how important it is to control the ball. The Seahawks have not been able to do that at all this season. No. And, and part of that is the running back position, right? And you look at Chris Carson, not being there. He's the workhorse. He's the one you can lean on quite a bit in those situations. And he hasn't been there. And, and, when Russell Wilson's hurt, his legs have been able to help extend plays, getting outside of the pocket and hitting some of those open receivers in the middle of the field. He excels at things like that, minus this year where he's, again, having to battle back from a finger injury on his throwing hand. We all see it as much as he is telling us he's 100%. We know a little bit of those, uh, a couple of those throws every game are just off. So... Finding, like you said, a way for for those big plays, the big chunk things to happen so you can keep that clock rolling without a Chris Carson who can just pound the rock and and and, and keep that clock rolling and rolling. Collins can only be so physical. You know, he's a he's a third down, you know, third back type of a guy. And Adrian Peterson, we know how old he is. You know, he could barely get the two-yard first downs on some of the carries in Tennessee, who is a really good team as well. So there's still a lot of questions about this Seahawks team, a lot yet to be answered. But 
taking advantage, like we've been talking about, of some of the injuries, finding Tyler Lockett if he's in the middle of the field when Fred Warner would usually be there clogging things up. you got to take advantage of things like that. Well, And also, one thing that we saw that was just so out of the ordinary on Monday night was DK Metcalf not being involved at all in, in the yeah. game plan. He didn't get his first target until deep into the second half, and and when he did, it just it didn't really go anywhere. And we saw his frustrations on the sideline, him standing next to Geno Smith, kind of, uh, you know, yelling and pointing, and and you know who knows what was said in those moments. Only DK and Geno know, and maybe anybody standing nearby. But you wonder if DK is is being is getting very frustrated with. A, the offense, and just, you know, losing more this season than he really has at any point in his football career. I mean, that can't be easy for anybody to deal with, especially when you're kind of accustomed to winning. I mean, obviously at Ole Miss they didn't win a ton, but uh, they didn't. They never lost to this extent that the Seahawks are doing right now. Uh, you know, DK's future with this team is very much up in the air, I think. Uh, you know, he's eligible for an extension this upcoming offseason, but – would he be open to that? Would he want to sign an extension with this team based off of the direction that it's going, based off the offensive play calling, based off of all these factors, that if you're a game-breaking wide receiver the way he, that he is, if you're 23 years old and have your entire football career ahead of you, is this a place you want to spend it if you know that the offense is not going to be tailored towards you know, you getting 100 receptions and you getting 1,500 yards and you getting, you know, 12, 13, 14 touchdowns. That's, I think, to me, outside of the situation with Russ, Pete, and John, and if that is something that can be rectified, I think DK's future with this team become, is the biggest storyline outside of what anything that goes on with Russ, Pete, and John. That's a great point. And one of the names we rarely hear in Seattle we rarely hear anyone talking about Nate Carroll and his role as the wide receivers coach has been for the past 10 years, right? And I know that's Pete, Coach Pete's son and there's there's blood there, but you got to start thinking at some point as well, is there other changes that can be made in the coaching staff other than just offensive coordinator that can help this team? And, and that even applies to Pete. I think it applies to everyone, right? Is is this system truly going to succeed long-term? And it's hard to find players like DK Metcalf. I know he fell in the draft, but it's still hard to find them. It's hard to find Russell Wilson's. It's hard to find some of these players. Will they stick with those people over Pete, over John? There's a lot of those types of questions we're going to be asking this offseason. And look... Unfortunately, it's starting six weeks earlier than we thought it would, and we're having those conversations now instead of the middle of January, but it's something to think about. And if you're Jody Allen, you got to think about that as well. It's completely uncharted waters for a large portion of Seahawks fans and really a large portion of the people that are in charge of the Seahawks organization this season. It has caused a lot of people to look at, look at themselves in the mirrors, to look at the organization in a mirror because uh, boy, three and eight, I don't think is sitting well with anybody right now uh, in, in the VMAC because it's just been so long since the Seahawks have had a season like this. 
you got to go further back than anything that Pete Carroll has had here. His worst season has been seven and nine. That was his first two years in Seattle. You got to go back all the way to the Jim Morris season when they went five and eleven, and the year prior to that, four and twelve with Mike Holmgren before he announced his retirement. It's just so out of character for the Seahawks organization to be where they are. And uh, Mike Garofalo of the NFL Network today kind of talking about how Jody Allen is is not really thrilled with the direction of the organization right now. He talked about that on the NFL Network, uh, touched on that briefly. You can find the video on Twitter, at uh, Mike Garofalo. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if you've got the attention of the owner, you're either doing something good or, or, or not good. And in this case, this season has not been good for the Seahawks. So who knows what uh, what could transpire over the next few months as the uh, clock kind of winds down on the 2021 season for the Seahawks. But when we return here on Seattle Sports Saturday, as we do each and every week, we want your shout-outs. We'll give you our shout-outs. 206-421-3776 is the number to text. If you want your shout-out read on the air, that's coming your way right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Quick update on the Big 12 championship game before we get to shout outs. Make sure you're texting those in 206-421-3776. About 30 seconds to go. Oklahoma State had an opportunity to get the ball in the end zone and they were stopped with just Inches to go before the pylon on fourth and goal with about 24 seconds left. Baylor holds on for the 21-16 victory, dashing the Cowboys' hopes of making the college football playoff. So we've got already chaos on conference championship Saturday as the Oklahoma State Cowboys fall to the Baylor Bears. Baylor is your Big 12 champion. Uh, coming up at 1 o'clock, Georgia and Alabama from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. The Bulldogs have already clinched a college football playoff berth, basically. They really don't need to uh, do anything today in order to make that happen. So uh, Alabama fighting for their college football playoff lives today. I would imagine a second loss would put them out of the college football playoff. So plenty still on the line in that one. But, Taylor, it is time for shout-outs here uh, text yours in to the Mac and Jack's text line, 206-421-3776. Where do we want to start today? Uh, I, I don't mind going first here. I got a few to start off with. We're uh, in the home stretch for uh, my wife and I, Molly. So I want to shout out Molly. Uh, final month of pregnancy here and, and just in general, all pregnant women because I've been doing all the birthing classes and learning a lot and talking to other people and there's so many different stories and it's so, uh, you know, it's not a one size fits all type of a thing. It's not like the movies make it out where you just see a guy and you fall in love and you get pregnant as easy as that. <laughs> There's so many real life problems that happen um, to a lot of women. And so uh, to all the, the women who have been, uh, who are mothers who are pregnant or planning to become uh, mothers, it's truly uh, remarkable. And I'm in awe of the strength it takes to truly become a mother and a parent. So uh, I just wanted to get that quickly in there before I get into some other fun ones, mainly Curtis, 
Bellevue High School football. Ah. Back in the state championships. You thought I wasn't going to talk about it. You were wrong. <laughs> Still waiting to see. Uh, you know, Jake doesn't really respond to my text messages anymore. I'm curious Weird. where Skylines where Skylines game is tonight. Um, if they're in the 4A championship or if there was a scheduling thing. Because I didn't see their name in the game. <laughs> but I did see Bellevue's. They're playing in the 3A state championship tonight. Um, but... Happy for my alma mater. I know everyone jokes aside and and um, all the other things that happened after I left the school aside. Uh, I'm really proud of the high school I went to and the friends I've made and some of the things I learned playing on the football team and, and what Coach Butch and Coach Hasty and Coach Rosori taught me. So I'm thankful for them and how they shaped me. And then lastly, I'll just uh, give a happy Hanukkah to all the people who celebrate out there, Curtis. Yes. Yes, happy Hanukkah to all those who uh, who celebrate. Uh, happy Hanukkah to your family there, Taylor. Uh, you Thank mentioned you. Bellevue being back in the state title game. Jake actually had a, a really, you know, fascinating take yesterday about the WIAA and, and where these games are being played at this weekend. Not in the venues that we all have come accustomed to, the Tacoma Dome, which I believe this is either the third year of this or the fourth year where it has not been played in the Tacoma Dome. Uh, I imagine you having, you know, some of the best memories of your childhood winning state twice with the Bellevue Wolverines. Uh, I imagine Jake's words yesterday really struck a chord with you because of just how cool it is to be you know a high school football player in this in this state at least you know in the years leading up to the last couple of years and, and being able to cap off the ride at the Tacoma Dome or in a venue that is not what you play in during the regular season in the playoffs leading up to the Tacoma Dome yeah the Tacoma Dome is special for high school football and and people who grew up my age a little bit younger playing football it means the 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 pinnacle you're at the top it's the the final you know the semifinals and the finals usually took place at the Tacoma Dome and I understand not having it at at Lumen Field it's a it's a huge huge venue but to not have it at the Tacoma Dome I think is a massive mistake it's a neutral site I think it's a site everyone in the state you know can can get to and it brings Tacoma an entirely new sort of group of people during those weekends it's uh it's unfortunate yeah and I side with Jake completely it should be in the T Dome these kids should be having those you know Bring it home from the dome. All the fun that comes with it. The buses down there, the camaraderie. It just uh, it doesn't feel the same without the T dome. Definitely doesn't. Uh, some texts coming in on the Mac and Jack's text line. Their shout outs. Fred and Birch Bay wants to give a shout out to John and Pat Clayton. To uh, Pat to get well soon. Yep. Obviously echoing those words. Uh, always giving our best to the Claytons. And then the seven two four. Says shout out to the veterans and Santa's braving the cold and wet for toys for tots. Absolutely. Also, shout out to those uh, you know with the Salvation Army buckets at all the grocery stores and stores just at wherever it is. Uh, this time of year can be you know difficult on a lot of people, especially you know the holidays are are, are tough and uh, especially if you're alone or if you're you're not well off financially. Uh, shout out to everybody doing their part and making sure that everybody has uh, an incredible holiday season. Uh, my shout out today is going to be one from tragedy. You see, uh, you know, some great stories rise. 
And earlier this week, there was the tragic school shooting, uh, the Oxford High School in, in the Michigan area. And one of the victims was a football player by the name of Tate Meyer. And as the story has, has gone in the days since the shooting, he tried to disarm uh, the school shooter. And had he not done that, who knows how many other people may have lost their lives you know, that day. And a heroic thing he did, laying his life down for, for his classmates, laying his life down for his friends and, and, and others there. Uh, he is going to be honored today by the Michigan Wolverines on their jersey. Uh, they are going to wear a memorial patch with his initials and his jersey number because he played football uh, for the Oxford High School football team. Uh, and then in addition, they also have hearts on their jerseys representing the other uh, the other teenagers who lost their lives in the uh, in the school shooting uh, just a horrific horrific thing but just a tremendous amount of courage shown by Tate Meyer this week and and because of him maybe you know a few other people are allowed to to live their lives and and to to see see it through to the other side and uh, you just hope that school shootings in America find a way to stop because it, it, it's just gotten to a point where uh, if you're not sick and tired of them by now, then, then, you know, what, what are we doing here? You know? And, and right. so hopefully a story like Tate Meyer can, can inspire others to uh, do the right thing in those kinds of situations. That's a hero, Curtis. I know we, we, I love comic books and star Wars and all the nerdery around there and talking about superheroes and whatnot, but the real heroes in real life, those are those heroes, the the veterans that we were talking about for toys for tots, the Marines who have contributed to that over the years and, and what goes into all of those organizations. Um, and then the self, the most selfless act, the ultimate sacrifice that Tate made this past weekend, uh, our, our hearts and prayers go out to all the families and the community impacted by that. And uh, I'm with you, Curtis. It, it's got to stop at some point. We need – he deserved a chance to keep playing football and, and keep living his life. And it's unfortunate that it was cut short for um, for such a heinous act. So, Yeah, that uh, – I wish we could have left you on a better note. But uh, yeah. shout out to Tate Meyer for the, the heroism that he showed uh, in, in the face of, of just a, a horrific event. Um, but that is going to do it for us here today on Seattle Sports Saturday. We got Cougar basketball coming up this afternoon at 2.30. Make sure you're tuning in for that. And then also tomorrow, Seahawks pregame gets going at 10 a.m. They take on the San Francisco 49ers. Still plenty to get to this weekend here on 710 ESPN Seattle. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. We appreciate you spending your late morning, early afternoon with us. We'll be back again right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.